Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I am your host, Chris Butler. The big Timeless event at the end of 2018 was the broadcast of The Miracle of Christmas on NBC. Here in the UK we have waited and waited and waited and finally the broadcast date has been announced, or dates I should say. It's being shown in two parts and honestly I think it works best that way. The first episode is on the E4 channel on Tuesday 23rd of April at 10pm and the second part is a week later. I've seen them and both parts are brilliant. I think it's really wonderful that they were able to bring Timeless some closure for the story that was told through the first two seasons. And my impression is that the vast majority of the fans really enjoyed it too. I think whichever characters you particularly like in the show... They all had really strong and memorable moments. Sony have been very clear that they would love to make more Timeless. There were rumours that Hulu might be interested in it. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. The show continues to trend incredibly strongly on social media. The fans never give up campaigning. So who knows? One barrier to Timeless coming back could be the availability of the cast. They're all taking on other roles... It's really no surprise that they're all in demand as actors because they really have proven themselves on Timeless and with other work that they've done. I'm going to be looking at The Miracle of Christmas in detail in the next two episodes of this podcast. I will get moving on that as soon as the UK fans have had a chance to see it. This week I'm here to talk about Season 2, Episode 10, Chinatown. This was originally intended to be the finale of Season 2, It was first broadcast in May of 2018. If you want to watch this one, you can find it on Hulu in the States, or on Netflix in the UK, or you can buy digital downloads or DVDs. For me, episode 10 is one of the very best episodes of Timeless. It's incredibly thrilling to watch, and it's also pretty shocking. Okay, let's talk about season 2, episode 10, Chinatown. Chinatown follows on directly from the previous episode. Jessica and Gia have taken the lifeboat. Jessica finally revealed as a Rittenhouse agent. Not clear what Gia's involvement was, but safe to assume she was abducted by Jessica at gunpoint to pilot the lifeboat and Wyatt was left sprawling on the floor, having tried to stop them. The others that are in the bunker all rush in, including Flynn, Mason and Agent Christopher. They ask Wyatt what happened. He tells them Jessica has his gun and she's kidnapped Gia. Rufus, of course, is worried about Gia, and he tries to track the lifeboat, but they realise the tracker that would normally help them locate it has been disabled. Rufus says they asked Wyatt to tell them if Jessica did anything to make him suspect she was with Rittenhouse. Lucy says Wyatt didn't do anything wrong, he didn't suspect anything. But then Wyatt admits he did have suspicions. Jessica's brother was saved by a stem cell therapy, which Wyatt really knows was not around in the 1980s. Flynn accuses Wyatt of lying to them. Rufus is angry that Wyatt kept this to himself. 
Wyatt tries to justify himself. He tells Lucy if her sister came back, she would not assume that Amy was a traitor. But he says he's sorry. This doesn't calm Rufus down. They had incriminating photos of Jessica, and still they did nothing. Flynn didn't know anything about photos. Wyatt says that's because they couldn't trust that Flynn wouldn't have just tried to kill her. Flynn asks if that would have been such a bad thing. Flynn continues to bait Wyatt. The argument between them escalates into a fight. Lucy tries to pull them apart and Wyatt accidentally hits her. They're both shocked that this could have happened. If it was possible for Wyatt and Lucy's relationship to get to an even worse place, this brings them to an absolute low point. He tries to apologise, but she walks away from him. It is absolutely clear that Wyatt did not intend to hit her, but it's very shocking to see this as the end result of his fight with Flynn. He and Lucy are both stunned that the situation should bring them to this. We cut to the Rittenhouse base where Gia is brought before Carol Preston. Carol asks Gia to take a tablet that she says is a sleeping pill. They say they want Gia well rested, that she has a lot to learn. Jessica tells Gia that they won't hurt her which suggests they think somehow they can persuade Gia to cooperate with them. I guess Rittenhouse have a track record of coercing sleeper agents, for example, to do what they want. They force Gia to take the pill, checking her mouth to make sure that she did take it, and then they leave her to rest. Nicholas Keynes is delighted that Jessica has brought him the lifeboat. He says it's a total victory and they can now accelerate their plans. Carol asks Jessica about Lucy. Jessica says she's stubborn, strong-willed, and in love with Wyatt. Carol questions Lucy's taste in men, suggesting she doesn't think much of Wyatt. Jessica seems to object to Carol's opinion of her husband. Probably Jessica says that as a joke, but it isn't completely clear. It's an open question as to whether Jessica might actually like or even love Wyatt, but I'm assuming not. Emma Whitmore finds them and asks them what's going on. She's clearly out of the loop with recent events. They tell her what Jessica has done, bringing them the lifeboat and Gia. Emma asks if they want her to kill Gia. Carol says why would they want to do that? Gia gives them a backup in case something should ever happen to Emma. It sounds like a threat, and Emma undoubtedly knows it. Emma tells Nicholas that Jessica was supposed to gather intel and then kill everyone. Nicholas says yes, but this is better. Carol, rather unwisely, continues to rub Emma's nose in the fact that Carol and Nicholas are family and while Emma's service to Rittenhouse might be appreciated by Nicholas, Emma is just not that important. A showdown between the two women seems inevitable. We cut back to Rufus and Wyatt. Wyatt tries to apologise, but Rufus says he doesn't want apologies. He wants Wyatt to fix this. Wyatt says he will. 
Rufus accuses Wyatt of being so wrapped up in his Lucy and Jessica soap opera, as he calls it, that he forgot that there are other people here, people who love each other. He says if anything happens to Gia, he doesn't think he can ever forgive Wyatt. Personally, I think Rufus is a little harsh here. Wyatt has been conned by Jessica. He hasn't tried to harm anyone. And the full extent of what Rittenhouse have done with Jessica hasn't even been revealed yet. But of course, Rufus loves Gia, so his anger is understandable. The guard outside Gia's room hears a noise and goes in. He finds her passed out on the floor and goes to lift her back onto the bed. But it's all a ruse. She manages to wrap the bedsheet around his neck and brace herself so that she can strangle him with it. Maybe she hoped to just knock him out, but I don't think there's any doubt that she kills him here. I've mentioned before that going on these time missions seems to mean that you have to kill someone sooner or later. It's interesting that the writers haven't shied away from that. Quite the opposite. Gia escapes the room, but it's clear she's struggling to stay conscious and moving because of the sleeping pills she's taken. She makes it to the lifeboat and climbs inside, but Emma sees her and starts firing bullets at her as the lifeboat door panel closes. One of the gunshots does some kind of damage to the circuitry inside the lifeboat. Still, Gia manages to control the time machine enough to jump away. Back in the bunker, Agent Christopher and Connor Mason see that the lifeboat is in flight and they call out to Rufus. For a moment it looks like Gia is returning to the bunker. There is a suggestion of the disturbance that happens when the lifeboat lands, but it doesn't materialise. Mason says that Gia didn't stick the landing, and Rufus realises she could be anywhere in space and time. They all come up with a theory that if Gia has landed randomly somewhere in the past, then she will try to communicate with them somehow. Rufus is looking online for any trace of her, and he asks the others to use what they know about her to try to figure out how she would get a message to them. Lucy turns to physical books, searching through any she has with her in the bunker. She eventually picks up a History of San Francisco, 1850 to 1950 which has the author names Carol Preston and Lucy Preston on the cover. And on one of the pages inside, she sees a photo that is unmistakably Gia. The photo is from San Francisco, Chinatown, 1888, which is only 20 miles away, but 130 years in the past. There is writing in the photo in Klingon, which Rufus can read. For a moment, Lucy is surprised Rufus can read Klingon, but then she realises, of course he can. He realises that Gia has given them coordinates, and he guesses she's telling them where to find the lifeboat. Also, she has written the words, don't come. Rufus looks baffled by it, and Lucy says, to hell with that. The credits are on screen during this scene. This episode is written by Tom Smuts and Nancy Baird. Tom previously wrote Season 1, Episode 2, The Assassination of Abraham Lincoln, Season 1, Episode 10, The Capture of Benedict Arnold, and he co-wrote Season 2, Episode 1 with Erica Lizanne Mittman, that was The War to End All Wars. 
Tom was an executive producer on season two and obviously has had a big input into the show. Tom wasn't credited on The Miracle of Christmas and as far as I know wasn't involved at all, which is kind of surprising given the extent of his involvement up to this point. Nancy Baird has worked mainly as a script coordinator on Timeless and other shows, including Mad Dogs, Halt and Catch Fire and SWAT. This episode is her only screenplay credit. This episode is directed by Greg Beeman. He has directed four other episodes of Timeless, Season 1, Episodes 6 and 13, The Watergate Tape and Karma Chameleon, and Season 2, Episodes 1 and 6, The War to End All Wars, and The King of the Delta Blues. Next we see Rufus and Connor in a woodland kind of area, searching for the coordinates and hoping to find the lifeboat. And they do find it, hidden in some bushes. I must admit I am a bit sceptical a time machine could sit unnoticed in some bushes for 130 years, but let's say that could happen. So they have to get a generator in to restore power and they work on it for a day, fixing it up. Connor notes the motherboard has a bullet hole in it. Rufus is starting to think it's hopeless, but Connor tells him they're engineers and they need to just keep turning a wrench. And at last they successfully power up the lifeboat, and it's genuinely thrilling to see them do it. The on-screen chemistry between Malcolm Barrett and Patterson Joseph is really great. They're so pleased with themselves. But no sooner do they have the lifeboat up and running than they see the Rittenhouse mothership is en route to 1888. So there is no time to delay, they need to follow there as quickly as they can. Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus climb in and they persuade Flynn to go with them too. He needs persuading because after all the lifeboat is 130 years older than the last time they saw it. Agent Christopher and Mason have to stay behind. I love the scene where the lifeboat jumps away here. You see the vegetation around the lifeboat get chewed up and there are bolts of lightning that arc towards the lifeboat from the spotlights that they've set up so they could work in the dark. The special effects team really went above and beyond to make those few seconds something special. Next we see the caption, Chinatown, San Francisco, August 26th, 1888. It's actually quite unusual to get a caption this far into the episode. Normally it's the first thing you see in an episode of Timeless, if you see a caption at all. But we haven't had even a glimpse of 1888 until now. The team are strolling through Chinatown, looking for the photo studio where Gia's photo was taken. Rufus is getting frustrated because they can't find it, but Lucy is certain it's here in Chinatown. In 1888, the Chinese were not allowed to live anywhere else. There were 45,000 people living in 12 square blocks. Wyatt says that makes the bunker sound roomy. A moment later, they find the photo studio and they go inside. Now, what you don't really expect at this point is for all hell to break loose pretty much immediately here. But that's exactly what happens. And I think, for any storyteller, it's a big thing to have major unexpected things happen early. 
Some of what we see next you might have expected towards the end of this episode. It was the last of the season after all, but we're still only 15 minutes into this. The time team go into the studio. At first they don't see anyone, but then a young girl comes out to speak to them. They show her the photo of Gia and ask the girl if she knows her. The camera pulls back behind a curtain at the back of the store and we see Emma pointing a gun at the time team. The camera pulls back further and we see Jessica pointing a gun at a Chinese man. Nicholas Keynes and Carol Preston are also there. Back on the time team, the little girl tells Lucy she doesn't recognise Gia. She says the photo is dated 1885, three years earlier. So the 1888 date in the book must have been wrong, and Rufus is shocked to think that Gia has been stuck there on her own for three years. While everyone is taking that in, Wyatt sees the girl nod towards the back of the studio and realises something is wrong. She's trying to warn them. Emma is clearly making the decision to start firing and the likely outcome of that is that Lucy and the others will all be killed. At which point Carol, who was already looking anxious, tries to stop Emma. She ruins Emma's aim but Emma suddenly says, I am so sick of this and she shoots Carol twice at point blank range. Nicholas starts to say, what have you and she shoots him too. That just leaves Emma and Jessica and they flee out of the back of the studio. Emma says they should split up and they run off in different directions. Wyatt tells Flynn he isn't going anywhere near Jessica, so Wyatt chases after Jessica and Flynn chases after Emma. Lucy is with her dying mother. Carol is saying that she was foolish to think she could change her own fate to avoid the cancer she'd had in the original timeline. She'd taken Lucy's sister from her so that she and Lucy could have more time together, but some things can't be changed. But then Carol says her regret is that she didn't properly prepare Lucy to take over Rittenhouse, that that is her last wish for Lucy. She says there is still so much she doesn't know about her family. Wyatt runs round a corner and comes face to face with Jessica, with her pointing a gun straight at him. He drops his gun and tells her whatever they're threatening her with, they can fight them. She says they're not threatening her, they raised her. Wyatt is obviously shocked at these words. Jessica says her brother was dying, then Emma and Carol came to her parents with an offer. They gave her brother life and they gave her a purpose. They taught her everything. She says they're not bad people. Wyatt tries to tell her they took her from her family because of him. She says the Jessica he knew was just a bartender. But now she's part of something important. They're going to save the world. Wyatt wants to know why she didn't just kill everyone in the bunker. She says after she got the intel she needed, she was going to, but she knew she wouldn't be able to hurt Wyatt. He asks her if she's really pregnant, and if he's the father. She says yes to both questions, and Wyatt says then they're her family. She's still pointing the gun at him. She claims she really does love him, 
and wishes it didn't have to be like this. She has to protect Rittenhouse and her baby. She escapes through a door at the end of the alley and locks it so Wyatt can't follow. I think this was a really brilliant plot twist from the writers that Rittenhouse and specifically Carol and Emma got hold of Jessica as a child and indoctrinated her through her whole life for the purpose of betraying Wyatt. And none of the time team had imagined that this had been done. Yes, they were suspicious, but I don't think they could foresee the lengths that Rittenhouse had gone to. Incidentally, I don't think you can draw any conclusions about the Jessica Wyatt knew in the original timeline. This Jessica has been moulded by Rittenhouse into a completely different person. Back with Lucy, Carol has died. Rufus tries to ask the store owner if he does know Gia. He says something in Chinese. The girl translates that they have brought bad luck and her father wants them to leave. Lucy has a locket containing photos of her sister, Amy, which has only survived because she's kept it with her in the time machine when history was changed. She takes the two photos out and offers the locket to pay for the damages. She tells them it's made of gold. Now the girl reveals her name is Faye and she wants to know why the red-haired woman wants to hurt Gia. And she admits that she and Gia have been friends ever since she had her photo taken. But Gia made her promise, if a black man ever came looking for her, Faye should not tell him where Gia is. But now that Emma is after her and has a gun, she's in danger. Faye tells them Gia works in a saloon and agrees to take them there. Lucy wants to wait for Wyatt and Flynn to come back, but Rufus doesn't want to wait, so he says he'll meet them there. Rufus and Faye arrive at the saloon. They see Gia, she's playing cards. A scuffle breaks out with one of the other players, but Gia easily strong-arms him into submission. She's obviously learned to take care of herself in the three years she's been here. Rufus rushes over to her, they hug. She tells him he shouldn't have come, didn't he read her message? She's cross with Faye, but Faye explains that Gia's in danger. She says, when aren't I? And she sends Faye away. But I think Emma is probably at a different level of danger to anything she's used to in 1888. Gia says she can't go with Rufus because this is how he dies. He's not expecting this at all because Gia's vision was supposed to involve cowboys. But she says it wasn't cowboys, but it was close. She points out that everyone in the saloon is wearing spurs on their boots. The original vision talked also about this being near the ocean. I guess you could say that San Francisco's Chinatown is near the ocean, but we don't see any glimpse of it in this episode. So it's fair to say that that original vision wasn't very accurate or helpful. Anyway, if this is what they saw in the vision, then Rufus is expecting a yellow-toothed thug. So where is he? Gia says he comes with Emma. She's seeing things a lot more clearly now. She tells him it happens at seven o'clock. In her vision, she sees a gun on a chair, but she can't get to it. Then the thug stabs Rufus, and he dies. 
Rufus is confused about how Gia can know all this. She says she's learned how to control her visions, like Stanley Fisher, the pilot that Mason had locked away. She says three years is a long time to practice. Rufus tries to insist that she can't stay here. If she's not stabbed by a gambler, she's going to get tuberculosis, or die some other way. If he has to die to stop that from happening, then so be it. I really like the way Claudia Dumit plays this whole scene. She's simultaneously angry with Rufus for not staying away, while also being unable to disguise the fact that she's really delighted to see him. And she slips straight back into the relationship they have, even though she hasn't seen him for three years. We cut back to Lucy, who looks grief-stricken. Flynn arrives back at the photo studio. She asks him, where's Wyatt? He says, relax, even I couldn't kill Wyatt if I wanted to, and I want to. I think this is just words from Flynn. There's no doubt he dislikes Wyatt, but I think he's moved past wanting to kill him. He says he's sorry about Carol's death. Lucy's having to come to terms with the fact that her mother's one regret was that she didn't indoctrinate Lucy earlier into her evil cult. Lucy says she should have seen Carol for who she was sooner. Flynn says she should blame Wyatt. He brought a Rittenhouse spy into the bunker. She asks him what he would have done if Rittenhouse had brought his wife and child back from the dead. Would he have looked for the hidden catch? Or would he have just been grateful to have them back? She says he can blame Wyatt if he wants. But he stops her and says, I don't give a damn about Wyatt. That's not why I'm here. And she looks at him in confusion and says, Why are you here? We're clearly meant to think that Flynn is saying he's there for Lucy. And Lucy's reaction is that she really has no inkling of that, if it's true which tells us that Lucy really has no interest in Flynn romantically at this point. And the nature of his interest remains unclear, but he's definitely interested in her in some way. The moment is interrupted when Wyatt arrives back. He asks them where Rufus is, and Lucy tells him they found Gia, and so they rush off to the saloon. <laughs> We cut to Emma. She is telling Jessica she couldn't care less about family and birthrights. She thinks she can run Rittenhouse better than they ever could. She actually says we'll run Rittenhouse, meaning her and Jessica. But I really don't see Emma accepting Jessica as an equal partner. I think this is just bluster to keep Jessica on side. Jessica says, why wouldn't what's left of Rittenhouse just kill her? Emma says, because she has the time machine. She actually says she's the bitch with the time machine. They meet up with two of their thugs, including one she calls Jimmy. We only glimpsed him in Gia's vision, but this appears to be the man who is going to kill Rufus. Emma says they've got work to do. Back in the bunker in the present day, Mason finds Agent Christopher, and she's knitting. He says, what the bloody hell are you doing? 
She says she does this badly whenever they go away on a mission. Did he never wonder why there are so many ugly scarves around? She says it's how she manages her anxiety. And Mason should get a hobby too, besides drinking. He compares his life in the past with his life now. Nothing got to him before, but now he spends half his life worrying for the safety of the people he loves. She says there's a word for that, family. Mason and Christopher are pretty much left out of the main events of this episode, but it's great that they have a quiet moment here to acknowledge that and reflect on how difficult that is for them. I also think it shows the development of their relationship that Denise would use the word family and include Connor Mason as part of that. Back with Gia and Rufus, she shows him where she's living, sharing a small room with two other women. Rufus says it's crazy to live like this. She says it's to save his life. She says she can handle herself here. She's not the same Gia he knew. Of course, no time has passed for him, so it's all a bit much for him to take in. Lucy, Wyatt and Flynn catch up with them here. Flynn is the only one who doesn't get a hug. He makes out he's offended. He says they're practically family now. Rufus says, yeah, Flynn is the creepy uncle. Rufus and Gia continue to argue about whether she should leave. She says it's when she tries to leave that Rufus will be killed, and she can't do that. Lucy tells them to stop. She says they've survived this long because they've stayed together, and they are all leaving together. But even then, Gia still refuses to go. But then Emma arrives. She comes into the saloon, points her gun upwards and starts firing. She has Jessica and the two men with her. She calls out, where is she? But it's not Gia she's after, it's Lucy. Wyatt and Flynn decide on a plan to cover the others while they escape. Flynn is immediately on board with this. He always does the right thing when they're under attack. Wyatt says Lucy and the others should take the lifeboat now and come back for Wyatt and Flynn later. Gia is desperately worried about how this is escalating. Bullets start flying. One of the thugs is hit. Gia finally agrees to go, but she and Lucy get separated from Rufus. Emma decides to retreat. Jessica tries to follow her and Wyatt can't bring himself to fire at her because he believes she is carrying his child. Flynn manages to clip her in the arm, but Wyatt persuades him to stop, and she gets away. Gia is looking back at Rufus, exactly like in her vision. The clock clicks round to seven. She sees the gun on the chair. The thug appears behind Rufus, but Gia runs forward, grabs the gun, and kills the thug, shooting him twice. Rufus is alive, smiles all round, and they all decide they can go to the lifeboat now and leave. But... As they leave the saloon, Emma is waiting outside and she fires at them. Rufus is shot in the chest. Gia is distraught as she holds him. Lucy picks up the gun Gia had used and chases after Emma. Flynn has also been shot in the arm, but he still has his gun and follows after Lucy a moment later. Wyatt stays with Rufus. He tells him he'd be fine to relax but then his eyes close and Rufus dies. We follow Lucy chasing after Emma. We know Emma is a ruthless killer. 
So you have to be worried for Lucy here, especially after just seeing Rufus get killed. But Lucy closes on Emma as they run into a warehouse kind of building. Lucy fires four bullets at Emma and hits her in the leg with the last one. Emma crumples to the floor. Lucy is standing over Emma, pointing the gun at her. She can't pull the trigger, steps away for a moment, then comes back. She says, what do you do to someone who has taken everyone that you love? Her mother, her sister, Rufus. She puts the gun right against Emma's forehead. Emma says, please, to try to dissuade her, but Lucy pulls the trigger. But there are no bullets left in the gun. Gia fired two bullets, Lucy fired four. That's all six bullets gone, which leaves Lucy defenceless against Emma. A brutal fight between them leaves Lucy helpless on the ground as Emma punches her in the face. She says Lucy had everything handed to her and it still wasn't enough for her. Emma didn't take anything away from her that she hadn't already abandoned. This is chilling stuff and it's a line we've heard from Emma before. She really does feel a kind of jealous envy for what she sees as some kind of unfair advantage that Lucy has had. Luckily for Lucy, this is when Flynn arrives. He still has bullets left in his gun, and Emma flees. Flynn puts his gun down for a second to check on Lucy. Then Lucy grabs the gun and fires off a whole load of shots at Emma as she runs away. Seven or eight shots. But she doesn't hit her. Lucy is sobbing and saying, I can't, as Flynn holds her. She doesn't finish that sentence, but I think it must have been something along the lines of can't cope with everything that has happened. Connor Mason is waiting back in the bunker. The cup in front of him starts to vibrate. Cup of tea, I imagine. Signalling that the lifeboat is coming back. Agent Christopher joins him. There is a lovely camera shot here of this dirty-looking, aged lifeboat arriving back in the bunker. Gia climbs out, so Connor and Denise are delighted at first. Then they see Lucy and wonder what happened to her, with her face all bruised. Slowly it starts to dawn on Mason who is missing. He asks Gia about Rufus, and her look tells them all they need to know. Mason can't accept it. He says they will go back and change it. Gia says they can't. These four can't go back to a time where they already exist. Mason says he'll go himself. Gia says he doesn't know how. He says he knows enough to take his chances. Gia is furious. She says if he wants to die like Rufus did, then go ahead. She doesn't care anymore. She told them all Rufus would die if she came home. Why didn't they listen? Later, Mason finds Gia in a visioned state. When he wakes her, he says, Please don't make him worry about losing her in her head. He can't lose her too. She says she can't find Rufus anywhere in time and space. He holds her while she says she's never going to see Rufus again. He's alone in 1888 with no one to grieve him. And even though she knew it was coming, she couldn't stop it. Lucy is sitting on the floor with an ice pack pressed to her face. 
Wyatt arrives and sits down next to her. There's great work in the music in this scene, and throughout this episode actually, by Robert Duncan. The familiar Wyatt and Lucy theme comes in. Wyatt says this is his fault, all of it. Lucy says it's not. He says he promised Rufus he'd protect him, and he messed everything up, just like he did with him and Lucy. She says it's true, he did mess things up for them, but she smiles to let him know it's kind of a joke she's making. Which is a nice touch, I think. It says a lot about how she feels about him. But she says Rufus is not on Wyatt. He brought Gia home, and that's what mattered most to Rufus. Wyatt tells Lucy that he loves her. He says she doesn't have to say it back. He should have said it a long time ago, so he's saying it now. Rufus wanted him to admit it, and if he could see this now, he'd be saying it's about damn time. Lucy watches him thoughtfully throughout this. It's the last part about Rufus that she replies to, saying she can't believe he's gone. Flynn wanders into shot at this point with his arm in a sling because of the gunshot wound. He notices Wyatt and Lucy, but then there is a rumbling throughout the bunker, and then a second copy of the lifeboat lands, nudging the old one out of the way with another terrific special effects shot. This new one looks not exactly pristine, but in much better shape than the old one. Everyone runs forward to see what this is. It is definitely another lifeboat. Chia says it's been upgraded. The hatch opens and out steps a very different looking version of Wyatt and Lucy. He has a beard, she looks very athletic, they both look like soldiers or adventurers. They look down at the group below them. This Wyatt says, well, what are you waiting on? And Lucy says, you guys want to get Rufus back or what? And the last shot of the episode is our version of Lucy and Wyatt looking up at them and thinking, what the hell just happened? <laughs> It would be seven months until anyone got to see what happened next. Longer for most fans in the UK. Save Rufus became a major catchphrase and hashtag for the fans campaigning for Timeless to return for a third season. I think this episode was very deliberately written to make the case for Timeless to come back. The writers went for a huge cliffhanger, both with Rufus's death and the appearance of what became known as future Wyatt and Lucy. I think ultimately that was the right call because even NBC were persuaded not to end it there. And so we did at least get two more episodes. And who knows, maybe there could still be more. I've obviously watched this episode multiple times now and I still find it thrilling each time. It hurtles along for the most part, but still has quieter moments that pack a real emotional punch. The director does a brilliant job, and the actors are on fire on the back of a whole season of brilliant scripts. There is a problem with this episode, and it's about the only significant criticism I have for season two up to this point. It's the death of Nicholas Keynes. We were led to believe that he had great plans, 
but those plans are never really revealed. We know Rittenhouse wants to manipulate history, to make Rittenhouse stronger. That has been their goal all along. But it was implied that Keynes himself had a more specific vision of how the future should look, and we never really get to know the detail of it. Essentially, he did nothing except sit at the head of Rittenhouse for a while, achieving very little, and making very little difference to anything. I think this episode could have been written differently, such that it was Keynes rather than Emma who did all the damage to the team here. But I guess if you ask any fan whether they are more invested in Emma Whitmore or Nicholas Keynes, I'm sure almost everyone would say Emma. Her character has been developed more fully over the season, so it makes more sense to put Emma at the centre of this episode, as they did. But then you could ask why wasn't Emma more obviously the focus of earlier episodes too? I think a lot of this is dealt with in the two extra episodes that followed, in terms of where this leads for Rittenhouse. And I feel good about the overall arc across the two seasons. I'll try to come back to this point when I talk about the next two episodes. If you assume that Rufus will be saved, somehow, then it throws into question everything that has happened in Chinatown. All of it could be undone. And maybe the writers were banking on that in order to reboot the story for season three. I am firmly of the opinion that Wyatt did nothing particularly wrong when Jessica reappeared this season. There was no right answer available to him, and he did his best to resolve that, but it was impossible to do. But I've really covered that before in earlier episodes of this podcast. In admitting that he loves Lucy, he continues to try to be honest, loyal and honourable in everything he does. Lucy continues on the journey the writers have talked about, from a history professor in the beginning to a determined and gutsy heroine as the story progresses. I think actually there had to be something as dramatic as the death of Rufus to push her further on that journey. Of course, Lucy also has to deal with the death of her mother here too, and Carol's regrets about not indoctrinating Lucy into Rittenhouse earlier is a very chilling moment in the story. The fact that Lucy was absolutely willing to kill Emma is a major turning point for her. It would be fascinating to see more of that story in the future, to what extent she would embrace that tougher persona for herself, or to what extent she would question it and want to pull back from it. Malcolm Barrett is brilliant and lovable as always, playing Rufus Carlin, but as the victim here, he doesn't have as much to do in this episode as the others. The script actually favours Gia in the way she has to struggle with the almost impossible situation she's in, and the seeming inevitability of the events she has foreseen in her visions. Claudia Dumit absolutely steps up to the challenge here as a star of the show. She's just as good as Malcolm, Abigail and Matt. So what would happen next? And how close would it be to my predictions? If you want to know what I thought might happen, I went through it in some detail in my last podcast. Next time I'll be able to start talking about what actually happened, when I'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 11, The Miracle of Christmas, Part 1. If you want to hear my thoughts on any of your favourite episodes, 
all the podcasts so far are available on the site, timelessfiles.podbean.com, or in all the usual podcasting places, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.